Welcome, everybody, to the Cantori Show, and thank you to Jake Nager and the Moment of Truth for our intro music. Looking forward to talking to Danny Clinch today, renowned, legendary photographer, documentarian behind uh, the new movie All I Can Say, which is about Shannon Hoon of Blind Melon. And uh, I'll tell you, you're listening to a humongous Blind Melon and Danny Clinch fan right now uh, because I was such a big fan of the band. I became very aware, hyper aware of Danny's work throughout the years. I mean, he's he's elevated to a point where I look at him as uh, our generation's Annie Leibovitz, who uh, you might know from Rolling Stone. She shot that legendary photo of uh, John and Yoko together. And uh, Danny is like the the heir apparent to Annie. It's just, his stuff's amazing. He's worked with everyone from Tupac to Bruce Springsteen. In fact, when I was just recently visiting a mutual friend of ours, Christopher Thorne, uh, out in Joshua Tree, he pointed me to this piano out in this uh, little shed, this little studio shed. And he's like, oh yeah, Danny took pictures of Bruce Springsteen at that very piano. I was like, what? I got on the phone with my dad and my my dear friend Dennis, who I surf with, and was like, you wouldn't believe it. I just saw the piano that Bruce Springsteen was sitting at that was shot by Danny Clinch. (laughs) And we're going to talk to Danny momentarily about his new movie, again, documentary about, uh, even if you're not a fan of Blind Melon, I highly recommend it because it's got some, some themes that hit close to home. And uh, I think you'll love it. I really do. First, let's thank our sponsors, which includes a phone call to uh, a friend by the name of Paige over at the San Diego Brewers Guild. First, uh, let me thank uh, March and Ash, marchandash.com, San Diego's premier cannabis dispensary. They've got locations in Mission Valley, Vista, out in Imperial, and coming soon to City Heights. Again, online at marchandash.com. You can also download an app in the App Store for Apple and uh, take advantage of curbside pickup, delivery, or their insane in-store experience. As I've said before, it's like uh, shopping at Nordstrom, but nicer. (laughs) Also, thanks to Baja Bound Mexican Auto Insurance. If you're heading south of the border, need your belongings insured, Be sure to hook it up, BajaBound.com. They've been in business since the 90s. I've been using them for surf trips, uh, weekend stays. Now, with COVID, things are a little different, but you could use BajaBound.com as a resource as it relates to border crossings, the rules, the regulations, what you're allowed to do, not allowed to do. I've got some friends who are living down there full-time right now. They're using BajaBound, and I've got buddies who do business down there. Everything from uh, fish tacos to dentists, you name it. BajaBound.com, get that insurance locked in. Now, before we talk to Danny Clinch, as I mentioned, we're going to speak to Paige here from the San Diego Brewers Guild. Let me pipe her in. This is going to sound like a Radiohead record. Hold on. This is Paige. Hey, Paige, how we doing? We're hanging in there. <laughs> what a week, right? Yes, what a week. Just right out of the gate, the the recent announcement as far as the purple tier here in San Diego, how does it affect San Diego Beer Week, which is going on right now? 
Yeah, so starting at Friday at midnight, so basically Saturday, all indoor operations um, need to are need to cease. So people won't be able to enjoy their beer and food indoors. They can still go to the breweries, but it will be outdoor seating only. Um, so it's not a huge uh, difference, but with the cold weather, it does um, propose some challenges. Yeah, but it's going to be warming up this weekend, too, and we love wearing our hoodies and beanies, right? As any excuse for sweaters. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, tell me, how has Beer Week been going You know, with the pandemic? I mean, this is obviously, I hate using the word, but unprecedented times, and you've had to pivot. Talk to us about that, please. Yeah, so and we still saw, um, are still seeing a lot of our breweries doing events just in a very different way. So we're seeing a lot of beer releases, can releases, um, specialty beers, and virtual events, um, which we've been seeing throughout the year. But it was really nice to see that the breweries, uh, you know, despite the challenges of 2020, uh, they rallied around San Diego Beer Week like they do every year and were able to offer the community um, some really great options to support their businesses and and um, alternatives to getting together. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely different. People aren't going out every single night, but sure. we're seeing our community come together and support these small businesses um, in any way that they can. So it's, um, you know, it's it's been nice to see that for sure. And how has the in a broad stroke, the pandemic affected a lot of the breweries here in town. Yeah, I know a lot of restaurants struggle because they don't have the space to accommodate in outdoor capacities, but it seems like a lot of breweries do, correct? Or are there also a handful of breweries that are struggling in the same way that a small restaurant would be as well, if that makes sense? Yeah, they're, they're definitely the, the struggles. Uh, we have seen a lot of the breweries pivot into more packaging and, and to-go beers, which they may have not offered before. Um, so they're still getting beer in people's hands and people are still able to support the business without just going to tap rooms. Well, that's good. Um, and then we're also seeing you know different cities and um, municipalities open up outdoor space for them by allowing people to block off parking spots in front of their business to create outdoor space if they didn't have it before. You know, a good example of that would be kind of down in the South Park area where Hamilton's and South Park Brewing is like they didn't have any outdoor space and they were able to go into the, the patio sidewalk area and some of that outdoor street parking and block that off to, to allow for um, people to to support the business um, since people weren't able to go indoors. Yeah, and I was recently talking to, uh, well, our new mayor, Todd Gloria, was on our last mm-hmm. show or one of our last shows, and we were discussing that to-go model and the opportunity to go to these breweries and grab alcohol, you know, beer on the mm-hmm. go, and what a value and awesome thing that was to come, like probably the only great thing to come out of the pandemic. <laughs> and let's hope yeah. that never goes anywhere. And he and he's yeah. behind that as well. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, our incoming mayor. So yeah, I'm happy to report that. Now, as it relates to Beer Week right now, I know we're in the final days again where we started right at the beginning of a purple tier turnover. But uh, how can people support right now in these final days? 
Uh, they can continue to um, either buy beer to go or if they're comfortable being outside or some of the breweries are doing deliveries. Another great way is to um, buy gift cards if they're not comfortable going out right now um, and they can use that at a later time. A lot of the breweries have online stores where they can easily purchase, you know, beer to go and it's an easy pickup or a gift card. Um, so those are the best ways to really support the businesses and, um, you know, share, share on social, um, you know, get the word out about how people are supporting their, their local community and talk about some of those breweries that they're heading out to and kind of give them a little bit of extra love and show them that the community supports them during all of this, this hard time. Yeah. No, 1000%. And can you think of any breweries off the top of your head that could use some extra support or really put these people on your radar and lift them up during these times? Uh, I would say that everybody needs a little bit of yeah. extra support during these times. Um, you know, I don't, uh, some of our, our it's your really small neighborhood brewery that was originally just a tap room um, that doesn't necessarily have distribution or packaging. They could uh, really use some of, of that extra community support right now. How cool. All right. Noted. And thank you, Paige, for what you're doing and, and powering through with the Brewers Guild. Really appreciate your efforts as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to Paige. And you can find the San Diego Brewers Guild online at sdbeer.com. All right, let's talk to Danny Clinch. Ready to go, Danny? No, let's do it. First of all, we ha we have a mutual friend in, in Christopher Thorne. Obviously, he speaks so highly of you, and I love that man to death. To death, yes. What a great man. Just a beautiful human. And uh, <laughs> my first introduction to you, Danny, was uh, through his band, Blind Melon, specifically uh, being that kid who would read the liner notes and actually care who did the photography. So I've mm -hmm. been I've been seeing your name and your uh, work since uh, that band or the introduction to that band, and that was your the beginning of your career as well, which will eventually take us to the documentary, needless to say. Of course, yeah. Yeah, I spent a lot of time with Blind Melon early on. I met them on the MTV 120 Minutes tour, I was following the band live, and it was uh, Big Audio Dynamite, Public Image Limited, uh, Blind Melon, and Live. And uh, I met the guys like you know backstage hanging out. Like actually, they were they were traveling in a in a like an RV, <laughs> like an old RV. Uh, they were you know they're just on their first tour or whatever. And uh, and I met them backstage, and we all clicked right away. I was like, oh, these are my peoples right here. And, you know, I ended up, you know, doing some early publicity sessions for them and, you know, album packaging and going down to Kingsway and photographing there and, you know, traveling to Europe with them, going to festivals. It was, uh, it was a real important part of my early career. Yeah, how old were you at this point? It had to be, like, what, in your early 20s? yeah. Yeah, maybe 25. That's insane. And pri yeah. prior to that, you had you mentioned you were working with other bands. So what was your initial introduction to music photography? Because I know you went to photography school for a couple of years. And uh, then yeah. how did you make the transition? Uh, I did a workshop um, 
as uh, after I got out of school, I decided to do some photographic workshops. And one of them that I did was the Ansel Adams gallery workshop and to the two instructors, the two instructors there that were important to me was uh, David Hockney and Annie Leibovitz. And I ended up uh, working for Annie. Uh, and for those who don't know, she is a legendary, uh, you know, photographer, portrait photographer and fashion and music and, and, yeah. and everything else. I'm she's, tripping she's out. I'm tripping yeah. right now, Danny, because when yeah. I laid down the intro, I said that you're our generation's Annie Leibovitz. That's such a trip. <laughs> I, I didn't know there was a connection, man. Yeah, well, uh, she is, was really great to work for and opened a lot of doors for me uh, to work for other photographers. And my introduction to music photography, aside from you know Annie and everyone else that I worked for, was, uh, in fact, I met a friend of mine um, who was, was still a dear friend of mine, Elizabeth Grubaugh, who, um, through uh, through just connections of other assistants and stuff, uh, people that I met at Annie's studio, and we remained friends all these years, but she was working at Spin Magazine, and I think she got me in the back door, and I got to uh, photograph uh, the hip-hop group, Third Base. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and so I did, and, I, and, and it was a great shoot. It was my first shoot for a major magazine like that. I had worked for smaller magazines, but, uh, and I felt like I really came through, and I made a connection with MC Search in the band. Um, and he ended up, um, I think, discovering, at least partly discovering, um, and maybe producing the, some of the Nas Illmatic record. Damn. And, and uh, he hit me up and he said, hey, I, I have this artist that um, that I love that I've been working with. He's going to put out a record. And I think you're the guy to do the, do the album, the album packaging. And I was like, great. And he sent me the tape uh, when it was Illmatic. It was Nasty Nas at the time. That's and, insane. Uh, I, I still keep hoping that one of these days I'm going to open up a box and find the cassette tape. <laughs> they sent me. <laughs> uh and, and that, you know, just really helped me out. It opened a lot of doors. I did a lot of early hip hop. Um, you know, uh, I did LL Cool J records, Public Enemy, Red Man. Damn. Uh, I, I did the first uh, Kanye West record, College Dropout. Um, I did the first, I did the ODB record, Return to 36 Chambers, and, and a lot more Heavy D, um, Lord Finesse, uh, you know, Big L, uh, EPMD stuff like that. That's it insane. was cool. It was very cool. Yeah, and it was great. It was a great introduction into, you know, a a culture that I wasn't familiar with at first, and the deep dive into that was like really exciting for me. Yeah, you're a, a white from dude from Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what made you eventually latch on to Blind Melons? So, you know, you're working with all these eclectic artists, but uh, instead of bouncing around and doing different things it really seemed like you just align yourself with that camp early on correct yeah i think for me like my influences early on were definitely rock and roll and blues you know my my best friend growing up had an older brother and sister and they were listening to led zeppelin and the allman brothers and uh warren zevon sure sabbath Springsteen, jackson brown <laughs> sabbath you know all that yeah and so like i i was into like blues rock without even knowing it, you know? Um, and, and I always felt like I would, you know, I always wanted to, you know, not be, um, pigeonholed in one genre. And 
So, but what was ex- was exciting, uh, you know, was that you know hip hop at the time wasn't super, you know, uh, popular, and a lot of the, you know, I think people thought it was going to be a fad and that it was just going to blow over. So True. a lot of the assignments were going to younger younger photographers, and I was happy to be just running film through my camera, and um, and then at the same time, the indie rock the indie rock bands at the time they all loved hip hop. So when my portfolio started making its rounds and I had, uh, you know, public enemy and LL Cool J and Nas, uh, yeah. et cetera, Gave you cred. uh, bands, yeah. Bands like, um, Jane's addiction and the chili peppers and, and, and smashing pumpkins, et cetera. Um, you know, we're, we're into that stuff. So it was, it was, it, it was a great transition for me because they, they saw what I was doing and they, they saw the excitement that I had for what I was doing. And, um, yeah, and then I ended up, you know, I was working for Spin fairly regularly, and I and I met um, uh, live through a Spin magazine assignment, as well as the Smashing Pumpkins, I believe, and um, and all that stuff just kind of snowballed. You yeah. know, you meet somebody, you know, and then I and then I met, you know, uh, um, the publicist for Blind Melon um, was also publicist for. Uh, be- became the publicist for Radiohead um, and other bands, and and so it was it was that sort of thing. It's just that sort of like word of mouth, like oh, you should work with this photographer. You know, he did a great job with this band, and you know that sort of thing. So yeah, um, yeah. And it certainly seemed like from the outside though that you had a real opposed to all the other artists that you had worked with. You had something special, and this real connection with Shannon, correct? And the band? You know, I would say that I really connected. Shannon was a guy that was easy to hang out with and easy to be around and love to be around. He was fun, but it wasn't easy to really get to know him. You know, he was a little bit like, you know, on the surface, good time, but like, and he would, he would, he would get in a, you know, a long ass conversation with you for like forever. Um, there are people like that and, and I love that about him and we could, you know, shoot the shit about any, all kinds of things. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I really bonded with, you know, the other guys as well. Yeah. Um, you know, Christopher, Brad Rogers, Glenn, you know, and just like, we all just like, I don't know. We felt like we were cut from the same cloth, you know? Yeah. Um, we, you know, you know, we didn't come from, from, uh, we we came from blue collar families and uh, and we just had a lot in common. You know, Christopher was from Pennsylvania. You know, the other guys were from down south, and we all loved like similar music and and that. So, but you know, it, it took a while for me to click with Shannon, and then when I did, you know, it was you know he he would really you know he was he was, um, you know we we spoke a lot and we wrote to each other when he was in rehab, and I think he. I tried to do my best, you know, in my guidance, uh, you know, along with other people, you know, that we could do. And, um, but he was, he was great to be around. He was, a, he was a prankster. He liked to, uh, you know, to joke around with people and to try and make you uncomfortable and, uh, <laughs> and stuff. And, you know, he, I had a hat that my wife Maria had, had bought me down on canal street. We were living down on Reed street below canal in New York city. And he came over one day and, um, right before they did SNL and, um, 
he kind of was like, oh man, that's that hat's cool. Let me try it on, and he like tried it on, and that was it. It was his hat. That, <laughs> yeah, that big beanie he was wearing. One. Yeah, the brown and uh, yeah, the one where he put the bird on the top. Yeah, he snaked it yeah. from you. That's hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like a five dollar Canal Street hat. Hearing you talk about him, I'm thinking about that uh, great Cameron Crowe quote that ultimately made it into Almost Famous about uh, never becoming friends with the artists. Did you, um, what was that like for you? Did you have to put lines in the sand early on? I mean, I know over time you eventually become, you know, bona fide and authentic friends, but early in your career, was that something you had to think about? You know, I didn't really think about much. I was like, I didn't really think ahead. I was just living my life. But I did, I was careful because I think you have to be careful who you call your friend and who's just somebody that you know. Right. You know? And, you know, I've really been patient with people that I call my friends. Like, I I don't want to, even just for my own personal self. Not, not, not to be like cool, like oh yeah, I, you know, I'm friends with. I get it, Eddie Vedder. You yeah. know, um, it, it's just for myself because I just don't want to be hurt. You know, like I don't want to be like oh shit, I, I kind of felt like we were friends and maybe damn that makes perfect maybe, sense. Maybe we're just not, you know. Yeah. And and then because I'm 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 kind of a sensitive person and I like my feelings would get hurt. You know, like I would be somewhere like say there was a big party or something and like I was over here and there was like you know, the velvet rope area for the artists. And, you know, I would see someone who I thought was a friend of mine and, and they would obviously turn their head so that they didn't have to invite me into the velvet rope. You yeah. Know? Stuff like that. Um, or not getting like that, that and, or not getting that call back in the time. Yeah. Maybe you thought you would get the call back and then you personalize it. Or, or if you're ghosted for months and then suddenly the person reemerges and it's like your best friends. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I'm cool with it. Yeah, I just like you to have know where to be. I stand. And you know, for me as a document, and, and I really feel like uh, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a you know music photographer, let's say. Um, all, you know, although I always have a camera, and I've been out, you know, in some of these rallies and protests and things like that. But uh, I feel like, um, you know, I'm a documentarian. You know, I'm documenting you know musical history. So you have a band like. Um, you know, uh, you know, like Blind Melon and, 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 you know, you know, Pearl Jam. Yeah, you've gotten and Bruce close. Springsteen and people that I've, that I've gotten close with where, you know, they they want their they want their musical history to be documented. Right. They yeah. do. They just like, who do they want and who are they going to trust to be Telling there their and story. not get in the way yeah. and, and not not get in the way, of, you know, and, and but that's that's where I pride myself in those relationships. You know, it's like it doesn't have to be a friendship. Uh, if it is, then great. And, and if it's, if it's not, then, you know, I'm still hanging and photographing, you know, um, and, you know, but you run into people after all these years and, and you realize like, oh my God, I've known you for 25 years. Yeah. You know, uh, Trey Anastasio, I just, I just went to one of his beacon shows that he's doing. He's doing a series of, uh, beacon shows, um, you know, to no audience at all due to COVID. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I, and I, you know, I rolled up there and we saw each other and, you know, it just, it just was, it was great to see him because I hadn't seen him in so long. It's great to see anybody at this point, <laughs> right? Right. And, uh, and we were all COVID tested. So I had a mask on, he didn't. So I got to see his face 
And um, it just was, it was just really, really sweet, you know, to just be like, Hey man, great to see you. And I'm glad you're doing this. I'm glad you're yeah. doing well. And, you know, and, 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 and there's a great article in relics magazine about the, all I can say film, but also about Trey and, and how he felt about doing playing, a show without an audience and Oof. how it came to grips and how he came to grips with it and stuff. And, and, you know, it's like people, he, his point was people make their best work under duress. People make like, what are you going to do right now? It's what true. are we going to do right now when we can't go out? And, you know, it looks like we're about to probably get closed down again, you know, it's happening and, here. Yeah. In San know, Diego. Uh, yeah. And so, and so the question is, is, is this new administration, you know, who actually believes there's an issue going to be able to tamp it down so that we can get back to uh, our regular life here. Oh, uh, man, and, I hope so. Yeah. So, and then, you know, back to Blind Melon, um, you know, we we were all just really becoming great friends. And uh, I'm still great friends with those guys to this day. But at the time, right before Shannon passed away, we were, like, living the dream. Yeah. You know? We were, like, like the last show I saw was – in New Jersey, I believe at um, at the Trade Winds, which was on the Jersey Shore, just north of Asbury Park, and we went out to the show, and it was it was a great show. We had a great time, and they had just found out that they were going to play the Bridge School benefit that Neil Young put on every year for right. many years, Neil and Peggy, and uh, and you know they were invited to play the Bridge School benefit, which is like. Man, everybody wanted to be invited to that because Hell you just yeah. got to go out and hang out with Neil and hang out with, <laughs> you know, everybody. You know, it's like everybody there. And Neil, Neil would always have like a barbecue, and uh, at his house, and all the artists would get to go up, and you know, they, and Shannon was like, you know, huge Neil Young fan. So was everybody in the band. But he looked at me and he was like, "Danny, man, we're going to Uncle Neil's house." And don't forget to bring your harmonica. <laughs> and, and I was like, hell yeah, dude. And like, I'm a huge, huge Neil Young fan. Yeah, me as well. And I was like, yeah, buddy, right on. And then a month later, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. I remember at the time, and again, this is from a fan perspective, a lot of it was attributed to his downfall and ultimate death attributed to the reaction to the soup record in a bad Rolling Stone review. Is there truth to that? You know, I don't know. I mean, you know, you got to have some issues uh, to let yourself fall into, you know, to that trap. Yeah. I mean, at the time, though, you know, culturally, Rolling Stone was, you know, there was the Bible and every and, and everybody was, you know, everybody, uh, uh, you know, was paying attention like, oh, if Rolling Stone said it sucks and we're not going to buy it, you know. Yeah. And, you know, you couldn't have direct contact with your fans like you have today. And so, um, you know, I think I think that it definitely played a part, you know, like they were also bummed. I mean, you know. And and rightfully so because Soup was a great record. Oh my and, you know, gosh! You get, you get one guy who, and, you know, it happened to us with the film. We had one of our most important um, uh, reviews. We felt um, 
the guy, like, you could just tell the guy never liked Blind Melon, didn't want to like Blind Melon, thought they were a one-hit wonder, yep. and actually didn't even really watch the film, I don't think, because his comments were more about, like, what Shannon wasn't, as opposed to what he, who he was. And I, I just don't think he saw the film. I just don't know that right. he took the time. And, 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 and that, that was heartbreaking, but it wasn't going to, you know, I wasn't going to lose any sleep over it. But, you know, when you've put your heart and soul, well, I put my heart and soul into the film <laughs> 14 years. Dude, I um, can't believe how long it took. When you put your heart and soul into a record like that and it's your livelihood and you're going out and it's like, you know, you already are having um, substance abuse issues. Right. And, and you're Shannon Hoon who doesn't listen to anybody. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, these things, unfortunately have a terrible result uh you know and and i thought by having a child i thought he i thought he had you know at least he had expressed to me through phone calls and letters and stuff that uh you know that he he really cared about nico and and lisa and that he wanted to you know straighten his act out and stuff it only takes one little you know lapse uh you know i mean look we just lost uh Justin Towns Earl yep. and you think about Chris Cornell and you think about, you know, it's Ugh. just, it's just terrible. Yeah. It impacted me as a fan. Like you wouldn't believe to the point where I actually named my, my son, my firstborn Nico, because, uh, I was so <laughs> at the time, so bummed out. And then that record mm-hmm. came out shortly thereafter his passing where I was mm-hmm. like, that's a cool name. I'm going to name a kid. If I ever have a kid, I'm going to name my kid Nico. And sure enough, I did. Oh, damn. That's awesome. Yeah, isn't that funny? So That's cool. As it relates to the film, you, you mentioned 14 years in the making. I've talked to Christopher about it. He said it was harder getting that thing out from, you know, watching that get put out was harder than any record he's ever been on. So yeah. uh, what was the most arduous task or process sifting through all the video or licensing or all the above it was all of the above you know we started out making a different kind of film a different kind of documentary and then when we when we received the box of tapes um from lisa and nico we collectively decided was there an opportunity to tell the story um through shannon's eyes and through these tapes and at the same time, we were bringing on my friend Taryn Gould, who's um, uh, the co- co-director on the film, myself, Taryn Gould, and Colleen Hennessy. We brought Taryn on, and her and I had worked on a lot of films together. And she's a very impressionistic, very smart, intuitive editor, uh, very artful, and, and a real chance taker. And I felt like, you know, we had done a lot together in that sort of style, and usually would start in like the beginning of a film that we were making, you know, where we'd create this, you know, beautiful impressionistic opening and, and whatnot. And then, you know, you, you know, you would slowly ease into like a more traditional kind of storytelling, you know, sprinkled in with some experimental stuff. And this whole film is experimental, you know? Um, the fact is, is that myself, uh, you know, and Colleen Hennessy, who really started, working as an intern at my company three on the tree productions back in the day and you know was a blind melon fan and had always said to me if you're ever going to do a project for blind melon 
count me in. And uh, I, I really couldn't have done it without her because she was sort of was like, you know, the person, you know, I'm so busy doing oh, like a thousand yeah. different things. And she was like, no, I, I'm in. Like, what do you need me to do? And, and I was like, oh, OK, well, you know, and we started you know, she started going out and filming and, and stuff when we were working on the other version of this project. Um, and then it turned into what it turned into. And it was really Colleen and Taryn doing the heavy lifting of, of you know, sifting through all the all the footage and, and pulling out the good stuff. And then we would all collectively get together and, you know, see where it was headed. And um, so, you know, it all was hard. It was hard, um, you know, to go through the footage. It was hard to make a story out of it. And at a certain point we were like, there's a lot of holes in here that we haven't filled yet that, you know, when you're telling a story and you want to tell it in a, in a very unique way through all archival footage, um, you know, what do you use in, in the, in, in the place of those holes? And, and right when we were getting to that point, Lisa, uh, Sinha Kraus, uh, you know, Shannon's girlfriend, um, Nico's mom sent us, she was like, Oh, I found a box of like answering machine recordings. Oh. Shannon, Shannon saved all of his answering machine stuff. And what was on there was, you know, a lot of just boring, you know, lawn maintenance or you know, those, uh, <laughs> dentist appointments and stuff like that. And, uh, and then the other was like, you know, Mike McCready calling Shannon looking for him for some advice and, you know, or, you know, uh, band members calling to check on him, his mother calling him, Lisa calling him saying, Shannon, I'm looking for you, you know, pivotal parts of the the, film. Yeah. So, so that was, that was really important to us. And, um, so that stuff was hard. And then honestly, the, the real, the real hard part and, and, and it was, it's really interesting experience to go through, you know, especially with COVID and what was going on. So pre-COVID, of course, I was just trying to get somebody to invest in the film because, you know, you spend 14 years on something and then you raise like 150 grand or 100 grand on Kickstarter and people, you know, the general uninformed person rightfully would think 100 grand you can't make a film with a hundred grand <laughs> and you're like, no, you can't. I mean, you have to pay for the editor's time. You have to pay for an editing suite. You have to, Heck yeah. there's, there, you know, it just goes on and on color correction, sound mixing, the cost of the music, even though the blind melon guys were all on my side and they're like, I'll give it to you for free. Well, the publishing company and the record company, they're not going to. To for free. Yeah. they don't care one lick. And, uh, and we went through all these, we went through so many avenues to try and get financial support. And nobody would give it to us. It was really crazy. And then I had a handful of friends who stepped up and gave me like some pretty decent chunks of change to once we got into the Tribeca Film Festival to actually cover the cost that we needed just to allow it to be played legally in the film festival. Damn. You have to pay another 50, 60 grand or something, you know, to get, you know, and it's like it's got to go through all these lawyers and all these things that people don't know. And then um, and then. And then during, um, and then we got um, uh, Eric Eisner, who's a good friend of mine, and who put out the um, the the, uh, 
uh, a long strange trip, grateful dead film. Oh, that's a uh, great a movie. Lot to do with that. Yeah. And, he, and he's a great dude. And he saw the film early on and was a big supporter um, and, and came on and uh, helped arrange a deal for, for him and also live nation to invest in the film. Right. So he was a great big help and that was awesome. And then, but what was really surprising is now we're in, now we're in COVID lockdown. Right. Yep. And, and even before COVID lockdown, everybody was like, Oh, people are, you know, and you hear everybody's got their two cents. Like, oh, Netflix is just looking for good content. Yeah, starting everyone's content. looking for content. And so, was, you know, and, and we would sh- show them their stuff and they'd be like, nah, you know, like you're looking for unique content. This is the most right unique there. film that you're going to, you're going to see. It's so good. Like, but, and it's unique. Like you want to stand out. Do you want to, you want to show that you have something different than other people have a film made about someone that's entirely cut from their footage and none of the big players none of the big anybody's had any interest in it even during covid like people you you were thinking like don't people realize that nobody's going to be making any any there's going to be no productions no content right and um surprisingly we didn't really uh go that route but we ended up doing a lot of uh, film festivals and we, we won quite a few awards at uh, film festivals and recently we just won um you know like uh, the jury prize for best i think international selection at uh, a film festival in barcelona called in edit and um and we won quite a few others and so uh that was you know really good for us uh morally you know sure you know, mor- morale but uh, but it's still <laughs> available like you can stream it oh, on yeah. apple you and stuff well yeah so now but basically what we did was we took it upon ourselves you know and we got distribution through oscilloscope which is um which is uh, uh was started by adam yauk from the beastie boys and um and they did a great job did it with distribution and doing a um uh virtual cinema release um, during COVID, which was, uh, you know, a, a new platform uh, that was very successful for us. And then now we have a company called Visit, which is, um, you know, getting the film out there internationally. And, you know, and, you know they, have a, they have a worldwide base, so there's a lot of people out there. And, but really the important thing that uh, Taryn and Colleen and I uh, really hope that is that people understand that this isn't a, really a Blind Melon film. It's a, it's a very unique almost experimental film about a, about, uh, about, a, about, you know, a guy who, you know, really is a traditional story, you know, grew up in a small town and became famous and lived in a fishbowl and it just became too much for him. You yeah. Know? yeah. And, um, and, and there's, I think there's reasons to watch the film are, are that story in itself, uh, the unique um, way that we use all of his archival footage shot from his own camera from his own point of view, it's that time is a, is a, is an element in the film. Um, you know, you know how much time he has left in his life and it becomes really important to the story. Uh, and just the idea of, um, the editing and how unique it is and how good it is and, and, and the idea of mental health and and addiction, all of it. So there's, there's a lot of conversation when you see the film, people are always asking coming at me from all different angles i love the editing i love blind melon i never loved blind melon now i really want to check out the music my i lost my best friend to addiction 
my sister, my father, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really, uh, I think are really important and, uh, potent story that really touches people on a lot of different levels yeah i really appreciated also how you normalized him or he normalized himself uh through through the film because uh you idolize your rock stars you put them on these pedestals and for for me to see him in that form in that vulnerable authentic and real state it was. Yeah. It, it just made me realize it could happen to any of us. Myself, me, you, any of our. You know, he was your friend, totally. but that was the thing totally. that resonated most with me was how much it normalized a rock star and icon. Yeah. So my, no I, I certainly commend you and uh, encourage everybody to check out the film because my wife's in that category. She knows the band from one single and and the video, and she was completely captivated and love the film so it it really does hit all things and uh i appreciate your time danny i know it's uh valuable and uh, it's just much appreciated i'm i'm such a supporter of your work and and love what you do man and what what are you you working on these days you did mention the campaign was that just a personal or the protest that was a personal project yeah you know i just like to document i like to uh I like to be, you know, I'm a journalist at heart. And, uh, you know, if there's something interesting going on, something that I believe in, something I can get behind, I want to be a part of it however I can be. I'm a guy who always has a camera, you know, around my neck. And so whatever's going on, you know, I I, I will photograph it. (laughs) Um, And my archive's pretty deep in that way. But, um, you know, I also, uh, you know, I have a a gallery in Asbury Park um, called The Transparent clinch gallery and uh it's it started as a pop-up four years ago and now we're you know like i said we're four years into it and uh i'm gonna be um spending a lot of time in asbury park i have uh you know we you know pre-covid we had live shows there we have a back line the gallery is more like the coolest living room that you've ever hung out in (laughs) because it's it's all mid-century modern furniture um and uh that's set up by tina who's the gallerist there and um you know she she deals in that furniture and stuff so all the furniture is for sale there's we have we have vinyl in there for sale records my photographs are all over the place for sale uh and just to just to come in and enjoy we have a drum kit bass amp you know bass guitars all that stuff so it's like you're not walking into a white glove gallery you're walking into like a like a hang spot yeah rehearsal um, space i love it yeah, it's so dope, and uh, and we're open, you know. Doing, you know, we're social distancing and that sort of thing. And um, you know, I don't know when this is going to run, but I also do this thing called clinch crates, um, which is uh, almost like digging through like a record crate. Like if you went into a used record store and you dig through the milk crates. Hell yeah! I t- I take a lot of like my old eight by tens and uh, you know eleven by fourteen and like contact sheets and things like that, and I put them into record crates. And, you know, I, I put them on like, you know, on sale so that everybody can afford, afford one. And, um, you know, you come in and you dig through it and, uh, and that. So, um, especially with the holidays coming up, I'm like thinking of my dad, who's the biggest Springsteen fan. And and I'm sure you have a ton of Springsteen content. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do. In fact, what we're doing this year is we have, um, I've done a lot of gallery shows in the last, you know, 20 years. 
and I have a lot of framed prints, you know, signed by me, matted framed, you know, that have hung in shows. Um, and, uh, and they're, they're just in my, in my storage. So I'm going to offer those, uh, you know, at a pretty extreme discount, um, this, this year. And we'll do some virtual, uh, you know, if you follow me on, uh, my Instagram, which is Danny bones 64. And if you follow transparent clinch on Instagram, um, you can, you can get all your information there on what's, on what's happening. Perfect. For, for that. Um, so that's been cool. And, you know, uh, I do the see here now festival in Asbury park, which, you know, blind melon played last, uh, you know, not last year, but the year before we were shut down this September. I know. I love um, what you were doing out there. Cause we're not able yeah. to, it's hard for us to put on beach festivals here in San Diego, believe it or not. And you were actually doing music on the beach, right? Yep. Yep, we had Pearl Jam lined up for this year, and Avid Brothers. Duh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're a pushing it to twenty twenty one. We're hoping yeah, September right. twenty 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 one we can get it. Now we have uh, the Avid, uh, Pearl Jam, Smashing Pumpkins, uh, ton, tons of other great bands and local bands and stuff like that. So dang man, it's insane. Well. Obviously, I wish you continued success, and uh, thank you for taking time here and uh, being such an important part of our lives. We appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for calling. What a guy. Danny Clinch, thank you for joining us here on the Cantori Show. And uh, wow, I'm pumped. That was just a great conversation, and uh, what a dude. Be sure to subscribe to the show. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors. And uh, on our next episode, who are we talking to? It's funny. We go from talking to Danny Clinch to Pablo Cruz. The Yacht Rockers have got members of Pablo Cruz. (laughs) Oh, it's great. Calling in to uh, take part not only in this show, but the uh, the Yacht Rock show that I host on Spotify, look for that on Spotify, Yacht Rock and Request. But uh, yes, on the next show, legendary Yacht Rockers, Pablo Cruz. Too fun. The Cantori Show. Cantori Show.